This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your In Good Company, a podcast for like-minded people who want to make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and I'm here with my good friend Sophie. Good morning, Maddie. How are we today? Very good. <laughs> That's good as always. I'm so excited today because we are finally getting to that episode about brokers, which I think has probably been like the most common ask and the most like the topic that we've gotten the most questions about. But before we start today, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land on which we are recording today. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. So, Soph, we have talked all about the why of investing. We've broken down some of the key jargon terms you need to know and the importance of getting your money goals under control. We've broken down risk and we've learned about how you can invest to build a portfolio to suit your own risk profile. So pretty much you've just given a summary of what we have achieved so far, which I feel like is is quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. (laughs) But now we have talked so much about and people talk about all the time, the stock market and buying shares. But I remember so clearly when I was starting out having no understanding whatsoever of actually where or how to do it. It is such a foreign concept. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because the other day I was speaking to a friend and she was like, don't, don't, don't think this is like a dumb question, but like, no. where do I, what do I like Google to be like, <laughs> like, is there a place that I have to visit? Like, do I Literally. go into a bank? Like, do you call like, someone? I, like, yeah, do you call someone? Cause like I fully can relate to that. When you first start, you're like, wait, is this like a separate service? Do I have to like, is someone going to do it for me? Like it it all does get pretty confusing. I completely agree. How did you first start? So when I first started, I had dad helping me kind of set up an account. So I set up an account with ANZ to start off with because that was like the bank that that I was using. Um, And it's- And did he tell you to use ANZ or- Well, I guess it was just kind of like natural progression because it was the bank I was with and then pretty much you're setting up another account. So you've got like your savings account and then you set up like the ANZ share trading account, I think it's called. Um, So you go on, log on and like literally do like new username, new password, and then you can transfer money into that account from your savings. But then as I progressed into my investment journey, I kind of moved to Comsec and a couple of different other brokers that I'm trying out at the minute, just because it was something that my friends were on and I wanted to be able to converse with them about how to use like the apps. So it's like good to have someone, I guess, using the same thing that you can like ask questions to and stuff. Well, if your friends are using it and they think it's a good sort of like user experience, because I think that's one of the biggest things about, you know, picking one of these platforms is 
what is easiest to use for you? I know when I started out, I mean, I honestly had no idea. I think a friend told me what he was using Mm. and I just went with that. I think I did a quick Google to look at fees because fees are a pretty important aspect and we'll touch on this a lot more later. So I think I did a quick comparison and when I realised that self-wealth, which is what had been recommended to me, was pretty competitive on fees, I just went with that. And I mean, I have switched around a couple of times, but I've stayed pretty loyal to self-wealth because I really That's like good. the platform. Like like, it. And I think, yeah, whatever is user-friendly and whatever works the best for you is what is a great option. Yeah, I feel like we touch on this a little bit as we um, get into the chat with our guests today, but it's a very personal decision and you've just got to go with what works for you, I guess. Yeah, for sure. We are now going to jump into an interview with Danielle Akuye to answer some of our biggest broker questions. All right, today we are talking to Danielle Akuye. Danielle has been involved both professionally and personally in share markets in Australia and overseas for over three decades. Lucky for us all, she has brought all of her knowledge and experience together to create one of our all-time favorite investing books here at Your In Good Company, Shareplicity, A Simple Approach in Share Investing. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Danielle, we're so excited to speak to you today. We're going to start off with some quick fire questions just to get to know you. The first question is, what is your morning routine if you have one? I certainly do. Uh, I have always been an early riser. So now that I invest in the US share market, I have a terrible habit where I wake up <laughs> and I look at the US share market. And oh, gosh. <laughs> it's, it's an old habit because my work always meant I had to be in the office sort of between quarter past seven and 7.30 in both Sydney and London. So I'm very hardwired to start looking at stock markets very early in the morning. I try now to have a cup of tea, do a wrap of the US market, find out what's going on. And then I go into my next phase, which is exercise. I'm pretty religious every morning about doing some form of exercise. And uh, once I've done my exercise, had my breakfast, my shower, and then basically, even though I'm kind of self-employed, I'm ridiculously disciplined. And then I go and I start my work day. And I have little treats during the week. I kind of catch up with people for a coffee or a lunch, depending on how my book writing is going or whatever. That sounds great. And Danielle, who or what influenced you to invest when you were first starting out? Yeah, uh, I was given an opportunity to become a stockbroker in 1985. I'd actually done a commerce degree with a major in marketing and I, I very soon worked out I didn't want to market women's feminine hygiene products or soap powder and I didn't want to work for a multinational and because uh, I don't really fit. I'm a bit like a square peg in a round hole when it comes to big institutions and I had this opportunity to join a stockbroking firm and I kind of went, hey, there's nothing wrong with making some money um, because my mother had had, you know, a few problems over the years with money and I'd seen the trauma that it causes. So I kind of went, I know nothing about this, even though I've done quote unquote accounting yeah. <laughs> and commerce and economics. It's it's kind of at, at the face, it's like, whoa, this is completely different, but that was okay. And uh, that's basically when my journey started. I feel like that is a very common story. And Maddie and I have experienced that as well, both studying finance and not knowing anything about investing until we dipped our toes in, we can relate. <laughs> and our final question is, If you were a stock or company, who would you be and why? I kind of feel like I would fit in somewhere in a crazy world of Tesla somewhere. That would really spark my fire. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good one. I like that. You could maybe be best friends with Elon Musk. <laughs> hey, you could do a lot worse than being a best friend with, I mean, he's seriously quirky, but yeah, you know, incredible brain, incredible brain. So we wanted to also ask you a little bit about the, your book, Shareplicity, A Simple Approach to Share Investing. Who did you write this for and what's what could people expect before reading it? I've always wanted to write a book and I actually wrote a manuscript about total wealth creation across all asset classes. And when I approached publishers, I got a couple of publishers interested, but my current publisher who I went with, she said it's great, but you know what? We want something that's more approachable for our readers. Can you do a, do a book on share investing? And I went, hey, yeah, that's easy. And so... The process started like, let's create the share investing book that's equivalent of the barefoot investors for share investing. So I like to think of it that way, but I also like to think that it's not only for beginners, it's also for people that think they know a lot. And then you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that there was all this other stuff that I didn't know. And that's the thing about investing. It's not a binary proposition. It's not like you either know or you don't know. It's a learning. It's a constant, constant learning process. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. We both have read the the book. And if anyone out there is looking for somewhere to sort of go a little bit further and learn a little bit more, we would highly, highly recommend Shareplicity as a great investing book. So to get into our episode a little bit more now, today we really want to break down what is a broker, what is brokerage, and basically, I guess that whole world because it really is its own world. So I guess to start off with really basically, Danielle, what is a broker? (laughs) So a a stockbroker is basically an intermediary between yourself and the stock markets. They're a person, they're kind of like, even though they're called experts, they're basically advisors if you speak to somebody. But a stockbroking firm per se is an institution which is able to facilitate the investment process. So between you making the decision to buy or sell a share or an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, they facilitate the, the trade and the execution of buying that product. So they're basically somewhere between um, if the stock market is is a like fruit and vegetable market and you're the customer and then you go and speak to whoever who is serving you, that's kind of like the stock, bro- uh, the stock broker effectively. They gather all the things together and facilitate the trade and you either pay for it or you return the goods and they give you some money back. So how have stockbrokers changed over time? We know from our experience, you know, we've just been downloading apps and testing them out. Has it always been like that? Has it changed over time a lot? It has changed so much. I wish I could show you a photograph of an old friend of mine who was on the, I can probably grab it, but he was on the trading room floor in the Sydney Stock Exchange in 1986. And this was a room predominantly full of young men screaming at these guys that were were chalkies that they would mark the share prices on a board. So once upon a time, there was no electronics, right? It was a really traditional thing where you'd kind of ring up and say, I want to buy 100 BHP shares. And then they'd call down physically to the stockbroking floor to my friend who'd start screaming like you see on trading places and, you know, those types of programs, screaming at someone saying 100 BHP at $12.20 or whatever. That's how it used to be. And then fantastic, along comes 
the internet and computers or more advanced computers and everything is done online. And there's been a lot of disruption in the whole investing community. Like it is incredible. I talk about it as the democratization of investing, which basically means once upon a time, you had to be Kerry Packer to go and buy shares in America because you just couldn't do it any other way. You needed large sums of money and, you know, there were only a few people that could do that for you. Now, you, me, everybody can go and buy exposure to shares around the world. And this has all been facilitated basically through the innovation and the internet. And that is huge. And also costs have come down dramatically. That's the other aspect. So sort of, I guess, then coming back to today, how many brokers are there? Because I have heard of so many different brokers and, you know, how many options do we have and how do we sort of navigate that? I think you need to be a little bit careful because not everybody is a broker, okay? So NabTrade, Comsec, I'm just throwing names out there. They're brokers. There are platforms that do other things. So they will put your trades through one of these other big institutions, And I think this is where it gets really, really confusing for people because they kind of go, oh, my gosh, where do I start here? I mean, it literally is is overwhelming, which you're probably finding looking at all these platforms. And I'm sure you know more about the platforms than I do. I think you need to differentiate between are you going to manage your money yourself and make a lot of the investment decisions? Do you need input and advice Or are you going to go to one of those more automated platforms uh, such as a Stockpot or a Raise or one of those ones where they facilitate you putting the money in but you don't make any decisions around where the money goes? So are you saying that there's brokers out there that can give advice and then there's also brokerage platforms where you can just make the trades? Yeah, it kind of works both ways. So if you want advice, you're going to pay a lot more money, okay? So typically in old style, there are what are called uh, private client brokers out there. So if some of your listeners go and ask their parents, they may say, oh, yes, Auntie Marge or Uncle whatever, or, you know, yes, I have my private client stockbroker. And then literally you ring up and you go, hi, you know, Sophie, hi, Maddie, Uh, what are you thinking today or what shares do you like? And they go, oh, well, our research department recommends you buy, you know, Rio Tinto or Commonwealth Bank. And you go, oh, yes, I don't own any of those. I'll buy some of those. And then they facilitate the whole trade. Alternatively, there's online investing platforms, okay, so that's the NAB trades, that's the Comsex, which is what I use. You can get an advice service with that. I just choose not to because I'm a pain to broke too because I've been doing so long myself. Um, And then you have other platforms that provide investment products to retail investors that are more probably bland or generic. So they're the exchange traded funds or the the ones where you say, I've got $1,000 to invest. What does your model portfolio tell me to put it in? And they will spit out once you fill out a form saying, you know, how much you want to invest, uh, how much risk do you want to take, how old are you? And they put in all these things and then they spit out at the end what actual shares or funds, exchange-traded funds you should buy. So unfortunately, 
it's you need to do a little bit of homework at the outset to work out what's kind of going to work for you because everybody's different. Everybody has a different amount of money. Everybody has a different amount of money that they want to put in each month and everybody has a different amount of time that they want to commit to it. Yeah, I think that was one of the main things that we really wanted to touch upon today as well. When choosing a broker, you need to make the decision that's personal to you and your goals. And so when you are looking for a broker, in your opinion, what are the most important things that you should be looking at and looking for when making the decision that suits you? Clearly, costs are important. Uh, it, it always, because the, the higher the cost of uh, the purchase or the sale, the more that that eats into the amount of return that you've made on your money. If you're speaking with somebody and you're actually getting advice, it's a very personal relationship. You've got to like that person. But the other big question that you have to say, because most people probably won't go down that route, most people will probably go down some form of service. And I'm just throwing names out here. They're not recommendations. So if you go to a beta funds or a Vanguard or whatever, that's very much vehicles designed so that you can save by investing, but you don't have a heavy involvement. So at the outset, you really need to establish how involved you want to be. And if you're not very confident, it's always better to start small and not have to make too many decisions that overwhelm you and you become confused and then you kind of because stock markets go up and down, so they can can cause this emotional roller coaster ride, and you kind of want to make that experience as pleasant as possible, if you know what I mean. So you kind of grow your confidence over time. So you start with something that's relatively simple, and then you can become more involved if you want to. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And. You were mentioning costs in there. Is that are you talking about your brokerage fees there or what what are those costs that you're referring to? Essentially it's the transaction costs. So there's two types. There's the transaction cost of buying or selling the share or the product that you're buying into. The other type of costs are there's two different ways. You can buy shares directly. So you you pick the shares or somebody picks them for you. You can buy bundles of shares typically in what's called an exchange-traded fund, or you can buy what's called managed funds, which is basically you give a fund manager a sum of money and they make the decisions for you and they charge an annual fee to do that. In all instances, costs matter. So in the same way as with your deposits on your bank accounts that if you imagine that you make 7% a year, you double your money every 10 years, right? If the costs are too high, that's going to also have that compounding effect and erode your return over that period of time. So whatever you decide to go to, it's worth having a look at how much it costs over the time to actually put the money in, take it out, and if it's an external manager, how much it costs them to manage the money for you. So essentially what you're saying is is that if you buy some shares on a on a platform, there's a brokerage fee for buying and selling. Correct. And then if you're giving your money to, say, a managed fund, there will also be a fee on top of that that they'll be charging you to do the transaction for you. There's two. There's the, the cost of, of, of buying them and then there is also an annual management fee for looking after the money. And you really don't want to pay 
anything higher than 1%, in my opinion. Even 1% is, is pretty hefty. So if you were to buy something like an exchange-traded fund, for example, which is a group of stocks that tracks normally an index, they typically should have management fees of around 0.2, 0.3, maybe 0.4%. Whereas if you give it to a fund manager, so the likes of uh, Platinum or Magellan, although they've been bringing their fees down, you, you can pay in some instances as much as 1% or higher. So the, the thing is, if it's higher, you need to have a higher return from their performance to justify the fees. So would you have any advice for really deciding which platform is going to be best for you? I hate to say it, it's it's a bit like going to a Mecca, Cosmetica. You kind of have to try on the makeup. You have to test it. And I really feel with all of these platforms, particularly with some of the ones that have new apps and things, you, you've got to try it. And that's what my son did when he was looking at what to do because he said, oh, mom, you're such an old dinosaur. I'm not going to use Comsec. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. And then he started fiddling around and he go, well, this app doesn't work. Oh, I don't like this app. So I, I hate to say it, it's a very personal choice in the same way as you girls might like pink lipstick and I've got more ready lipstick on. Until you <laughs> put the lipstick on, you're not going to know. And it really is a case of in the same way as like which social media platforms do you like? I was listening to somebody the other day and he's like this really super uh, tech nerd and super smart software engineer and he goes oh I never saw the point of Twitter and he goes oh now I just <laughs> love it so you, you you kind of it's like investing you, you or swimming you can't learn to swim until you get wet so I hate to say it, you've got to fiddle around a bit download the app see if you like it if it's too complex or it doesn't make any sense don't use it find something that you personally are comfortable with and you can change. It doesn't have to be set in stone. That's the nice thing. You don't have to have this loyalty over time. Your whole investing process can evolve and develop. Yeah, well, that was one of the questions we were going to ask, actually. You know, are you? we were going to ask, are you locked into a broker or can you swap around if you find something that's actually more suited to you, which I think you probably answered perfectly, that we're very lucky we can just download apps and try them out and see if we like them. Absolutely. I mean, I have changed over the, I, I think I mentioned it in the book, like, you know, I had this huge career in stockbroking, but when it came to managing my own money to start with, I was terrified. So I literally went through four institutions. Eventually, just before the GFC, I said, enough, I'm doing this myself now. So I, I was like everybody's worst nightmare. I think they saw me coming going, no, we don't want, don't want to manage your money. But that's the whole point. You, you can mix and match. In fact, arguably, you could probably, you know, you could try two if you want to because I think now they're, they're, they're so low cost and they make it so easy to invest. It doesn't have to be just one and you don't have to stay with them for life. Yeah, I think that's a great point because with a lot of things in sort of finance and money, it's really important that you sort of consolidate. So, you know, you consolidate your super or you consolidate your savings. But with investing, it really doesn't have to be like that. You can definitely sort of shop around a little bit and see what works best for you. Absolutely. Something that's really common that comes up when we're chatting with friends about brokers and brokerages is putting your money with a broker or on one of these platforms is it safe and are they regulated? 
I'm pretty sure they're all regulated. Um, but then again, I would only go with one of if you, if you're personally. I tend to stick with the larger institutions. That's just me personally. I kind of feel if you know, barring a meteorite hitting hitting the Earth, like if the system starts to quake a little bit, that's kind of and it's not a plug for because I mentioned Comsec. It just happens to be the one <laughs> I'm with. There's a whole lot of big four Australian banks, but again, it's probably worth checking with the institution. Because I'm not sure with some of the smaller ones how well regulated they are by ASIC, to tell you the truth. So, again, I think you need to do a little bit of homework. We are just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thank you so much, Danielle. That was a really great sort of summary and insight into the world of brokerage. So really appreciate your time on that. We would now love to get your thoughts on sort of a more broad topic, something that we love to do each episode. We've been getting our guests to add a stock to our watch list. It doesn't have to be a stock. It can be an ETF, a theme, an industry that you're keeping your eye on at the moment. And the purpose really is to just sort of get us thinking outside the box and really broaden our horizons in the investing space. But we are not financial advisors and this is purely for educational purposes. So it absolutely does not constitute financial advice. What have you bought for us today for the watch list? Okay. Well, I am a huge proponent on uh, clean energy, the big boom that we're going to have decarbonizing the globe. If we can all strip out the politics that exist in this country and look at it purely from a financial perspective, because uh, I don't want people getting upset with me, but the bottom <laughs> line is, is that there is a wall of money coming from global banks and investors to invest in this space. And if I had to pick probably above all the ideas and the themes. I've just been writing about this in my second book on, on American, how to invest in US stock markets. And there's lots of great themes there, like there's cannabis and there's 
cloud computing and, you know, there's genomics. But the one that I think is really going to be the big, big investment opportunity for the next 10, 20 30 years, it's within that decarbonisation space. Notice that Beta Funds has put out a climate change ETF and they've just announced it. And I want to understand how they're picking the stocks in it. But for younger investors with a longer term time frame, so you can put, or it doesn't have to be that long, but personally, with the change of administration in the US, with the Biden administration making a big commitment to decarbonising America, to getting the world moving with Europe. I really think that there is going to be so much money made in that space. And um, I'm well known for being a Tesla fan and I do own lots of Tesla stock. I think you are really going to relate to a lot of people with that. I think everyone is really thinking about how they can be more sustainable in their personal and professional life. So it's a really great area and I think we'll be definitely watching that one as well. Our final question for you today, Danielle, is what piece of advice would you give your younger self when you first started out investing? Have more confidence. <laughs> firstly, firstly, the thing is, I'll tell a, I'll do this story as quickly as possible, right? So I used to go and interview CEOs, etc., when I was a research analyst. And sometimes these men normally would be talking at me, I go, gosh, I don't understand this. And you know what happens? It's usually because they were telling me big porky pies, as in it wasn't legitimate. So what I like (laughs) to say to people is if you don't understand it, don't invest in it. If there is never a question that is too stupid, please don't be afraid to ask the questions because I will bet you you will ask a question and everyone will go, I wanted to ask that question, but they weren't brave enough. And I think it's really important. It's your money. You are, you, you've worked for it. You've saved for it. Take ownership of, of that. And it's a really rewarding experience down the track once you start the investing journey. But don't worry. You can be as conservative as you want. You can grow your confidence because it is a journey. It's just not you kind of do it once. It is really, I hate to say it, usually for the rest of our lives. <laughs> That really is fantastic advice. And Danielle, we would like to say a huge thank you for coming on to our show today. I think you are our first return guest after we spoke to you briefly in episode two. So huge thank you. Um, You've been incredibly articulate for what can be quite a challenging concept to get our head around. But if people want to find out more about you, are there any socials they can follow you on or somewhere they can find out more about your books? Absolutely. So I've got a whole website, shareplicity.com.au. You can download the first chapter for free. There's blog posts. There's lots of media articles. So you can bore yourself senseless either reading about what I've written (laughs) or what someone's written about, what I'm saying, uh, or there are podcasts. And uh, equally, I am active on on far too so many social media platforms. I haven't haven't cracked Pinterest yet, but I'm kind of busy, very busy on Twitter. I also have Instagram, which is Shareplicity, uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. And uh, so, yes, very easy to spot me. Just Google my name and it all comes up, (laughs) all Shareplicity. Love that. I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again. We really appreciate your time and we hope that we'll be able to chat to you again in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. It was so lovely to chat to you, Maddie and Sophie. So anytime you want, um, I'm around.
Thanks, thanks Danielle. Danielle. Cheers. Thanks. That was such an insightful chat with Danielle. Now, we reached out to you guys a couple of days ago to see kind of what questions you had about brokers, just so we made sure that we were tailoring to the things that you wanted to know. And we thought we would take the time now to go through a couple of those outstanding questions. So, Maddie, the first one and probably the most common is how do you actually get your money to a broker? This is such a good question. <laughs> it's, again, it's just so confusing. Like, what? Yeah. Anyway, I was going to go into the whole what is no, it. It doesn't anyway, have to be just, confusing. Yeah, and it's not. It's just feels like. Seems it. Yes, agreed. It's actually not confusing at all. Basically, you just get account details and you transfer money into the account, just like transferring a friend. Then when you log into your account, you can literally purchase stocks like your online shopping. It is honestly so easy. Yeah. You have, say, like your savings account. You literally type in a BSB, an account number or a pay ID, and it goes into your other app where you've got for your trading and it pops up there. You can see the amount. That's it. Exactly. And I think it depends on what account you use and what account you're transferring from. Like just like when you're transferring to a friend, sometimes it comes through straight away. Sometimes it can take a few hours or a day. So I guess something to be aware of if you want to be able to take advantage of an opportunity quickly, it might be good to keep a little bit of money in there so you're ready to go. But otherwise, if you're sort of just investing regularly and not too worried about that, you can just sort of transfer as you go. Yeah, whenever you want. So the second question that we got um, quite a bit was, is giving your money to a broker risky? Yeah, this is a really good question. And the good news is, is the overarching answer is definitely a yes. Sorry, well, you would it's hope a so, no. It's no. The overarching answer is that brokers are safe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is it risky? Yes, it's very risky. Do not use them. Oops. <laughs> no, we're joking. We're joking. It's, it's, it's definitely safe. And I was just going to say that um, all brokers in Australia, they have to follow certain rules that are set out by ASIC. So ASIC is that corporate governance body, I guess, in Australia. So you have the ATO, which look after your taxes, and the ASIC, which looks after more of the business side of things. So every broker has to follow these rules. So the overarching answer, as Maddie said, is that, yes, they are safe to put your money with because yes, they are <laughs> I'm glad we're, we're agreeing with that on that. But, no, they, they definitely are safe. Okay, so I guess the flow on part from that question then is there are two different types of brokers. Now, this can get a little bit confusing, but we're going to try our best to summarize it really, really simply. So the two types are called chess. The other one is custodian. Now, you might see this if you're doing a bit of broker research. So we're going to explain quickly what this means now. We'll start with chess. So if, do you know what this stands for? Well, I only know what it stands for because it... I looked it up, (laughs) but I didn't know. For this exact purpose. (laughs) Yeah, like I thought it was like cool because of the Queen's Gambit, but it's actually just (laughs) clearing house electronic sub-register system, so it's boring as. So boring. (laughs) But basically it just means that the ASX is keeping a list of who owns what shares. That's what chess sponsorship means. And it means that when you buy or sell the shares, the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange, keeps a record of who is owning those shares directly. Yeah, so I think the big thing to really pinpoint there is you own the shares directly in your name. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) So then when you join a chess-sponsored broker, you automatically get given an ID and that's called a HIN, H-I-N. Do people say HIN? Is that a thing? (laughs) 
I say I say hin. Yeah, okay, cool. It same. probably stands for something too, though. It does. Know. It stands for, I also looked this up, it stands for holder identification number. And basically, you automatically get given a hin and any shares you buy will be attached to you through that number. So if you buy shares with a particular broker, do you just get one hin or do you get multiple hins? Like if you buy, say, like, 100 shares in BHP, then 100 shares in Westpac or whatever, do you get two hins for those or does one hin and all the shares go under the same number? One hin, all the shares go under the same number if you're doing that all with one broker. If you want to open two brokerage accounts, you get two hins. Absolutely fine. You can have multiple hins at multiple brokers. You can move your hin and the associated share from one broker to the other and from one hin to another. It really does not matter. There is nothing to be worried about with this whole thing. Okay, so under this model, you own the shares directly and it's instead of someone else holding them for you on your behalf, which happens under the custodian model. Yes. So for a non-chess-sponsored platform, so the other one, a custodian holds the shares in your interest. So you don't own them directly. A custodian holds them for you on your behalf. So it's like, a, it's like a third party. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So has there ever been like a scenario where the custodian model like hasn't worked? Like what if the third party, like what is the third party? Is it a business? Is it a human? What happens if it goes under? Yeah. So there's the brokerage company and then there is a separate third party, which is the custodian. So even if the broker were to collapse, you don't lose the shares because a separate custodian holds them. Now, never say never, but a custodian has never gone under before. Did Justin Bieber write that song (laughs) about this? (laughs) Yeah, he wrote about the custodian model. That's actually where he got his inspiration for the song. That was the worst joke. What? (laughs) I know my jokes aren't good. We already know this. (laughs) Your singing is great. Everyone just got my singing. That was lovely. But the thing to note, I guess, that's quite interesting is it's really commonplace in the US for brokers to hold shares under this model. So it's reasonable, I think it's more new to Australia. So typically in the past, um, all of our brokers have been chess sponsored, but it is becoming more and more common in Australia too. Yeah, I was going to say, I think around the world, the custodian model is probably the most common. Mm. And I think they do that a lot because it reduces fees for users because they don't have like all those, I don't even know what the fees are. So I'm not going to actually act like I do know, but I think there's like red regulation fees and whatever under (laughs) under the chess model. Um, And they kind of strip that out in the custodian model by using a third party or something like that. I don't know. But I think that's why it's becoming even more commonplace now with user demand wanting lower fees. Yeah, so I guess the reason why we did go into this slightly complicated topic is because a lot of us, when we look for a broker, like I think a really common thing is to type into Google like low-cost broker. And what we're finding is now a lot of the more low-cost ones are this custodian model. So it's just good to understand what the difference is and you can make your own decision with what you're comfortable. But, you know, ultimately they're all really safe and you can make your own decision based on that information. So, Mads, another question that we got was, can you consolidate your shares if you have multiple brokers? Yeah, so I actually did this just this week. Um, So I'll tell you about my experience. (laughs) I think it might be a little bit different for every platform that you use. So definitely you can give it a quick Google and find out. But 
basically what all I had to do was fill out a quick form online. You did have to print it off and sign, which was slightly annoying, but that's okay. And basically you can select individual stocks that you want to move across, or you can tick a box that says, I want to move my entire portfolio. And it's really easy. Then you just send it back to the broker and they can do all of that for you. I did want to ask though, because you've got multiple brokerage accounts, don't you? Can you tell me your strategy or your process with that? Most of my shares are just on one platform and I have shares in like, so I have some shares in ANZ, which I've just kept there because I use their banking platform as is. So it's like, I've got that app regardless. So, and then I've got another one. So I could technically put them all into one app, but at the minute it's not really annoying me because it's just like buy and hold. It's not like I'm a day trader needing to like use a certain platform every single day. Yeah, for sure. But I think I remember you also telling me, because one of the ones that you use has really low cost brokerage, right? So do Mm. you buy, like, is it for ETFs? It's free. So you buy your ETFs through there. Yeah, I've been trying out Superhero, I think for not just ETFs, it's also with shares. But the main reason I was trying that out is because uh, a lot of new kind of things are coming up and I kind of wanted to test a couple of different platforms just because I've been with my platforms for a while. So it's more for me about like downloading them, playing around with them, seeing if I like the information that they produce. Um, You know, some of them have really nice like graphs and like nice like laid out information Mm. for example like there's an app called stake and it allows you to buy shares in the u.s and that has like all the top news stories for that company that you're potentially buying into over the past you know yeah because it's really cool it kind of gives you that macroeconomic understanding of the company and i really like that so i was i I like that app but I guess for me, I don't want to be buying on too many platforms because then I'll be like, where the hell are all my stocks? (laughs) Yeah. So I guess in that respect, it's really personal opinion that you can have as many brokers as you like. I guess it's just sort of what suits you and what you can keep your head wrapped around. So I guess a quick summary of today's episode, because we have gone through quite a lot of information today. So to start off with, a broker is where we buy and sell our shares. It can either be through your bank or you can do it on an online platform. So each of these platforms, regardless of, you know, whether it's with a bank or an online platform, they will charge a fee, which is called a brokerage fee. And this is for every time that you buy and sell your shares. So it's a very important consideration when picking a broker, because if the fees are too high, then obviously you're going to be losing out with the costs that are associated. Exactly. And what about ongoing fees? Do we have to look out for them as well? test. (laughs) Are you testing me? There can be some ongoing fees. Um, Subscription fees are sometimes involved uh, and there can also be fees such as inactive fees if you're not trading enough. So they're just things to look out for. They're not as common. Um, The brokerage fee does occur every time. These fees, not so much. But yeah, I guess when you're just choosing a platform, just to make sure that those fees aren't there. Then Maddie, there's that big ongoing fee if you buy into say ETFs. Can you tell people about that? Yeah, so ETFs generally range between a fee of like 0.05% and maybe 1% or just below. So rule of thumb, Danielle mentioned this in our chat, you probably don't want to be paying more than 1% per trade because it just means that you're eating into your returns too much and you have to earn too much of a return in order to really be profiting from the stock. Too much return. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is there such thing? Um, And then I guess one thing I wanted to add to that is that Brokers are businesses. If you're looking at one and it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So dig a little bit deeper and have a look at what maybe is sometimes those ongoing fees can be a bit more hidden. So just have a Google, have a look into it, because if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Now, 
How many brokers can we have? Are we allowed all of them? <laughs> you can have as many brokers as you want. It's totally up to you and how you want to manage that. It's not going to affect you in any way. As long as you can mentally keep tabs of how many you have because <laughs> yeah. you don't want to lose get your, your Excel, Get your Excel spreadsheets up, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if that's your thing. I don't like it. <laughs> kidding. I love it. <laughs> Okay, and then final thing, those two annoying words, chess v. custodian, go. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much they're just two different models um, that the brokerage companies can follow. And when you are choosing a broker, just have a little look if which model they're following and make sure you're comfortable with that model. It'll just take a little bit of research, not a lot, but it's important to understand before you choose your broker. Great. The end. The end. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> so next week, Maddie, we're going to do a little bit of a, it's not a bonus app, but I think we were kind of calling it a bonus app and it's highly asked for. And we are going to look at all the different brokers that are out there. Well, maybe not all and, of them. Well, not all of <laughs> we them because there's a lot <laughs> of brokers out there. But just giving a little comparison or understanding of what each of them look like. Um, and so I guess we're going to be a little bit of a, your Google for Well, thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. Don't forget, we have our Instagram. If you don't follow it yet, YIGC podcast. We have got lots of great posts going up, summarizing our episodes, posting news stories, posting terms that you need to know. Then we've also got our Facebook discussion group, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. (laughs) Getting used to saying that now. That's growing really fast, which is super exciting. People posting, people asking questions. We love it. So get on there and make sure you get involved and ask any questions that you have because that is an awesome place to, I guess, touch base with people who are on the same journey with you. And we will speak to you next week. See you next week. (laughs) Not seeing you. I do this again. (laughs) You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.